Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Good morning, Grace Point Church. It is so great to be here with you in Atlantic, Iowa. I am Jesse Westaby. This is my wife, Sarah. We've got a few announcements for you here this morning. Um, so excited, actually, right now to have electricity. The last time I came up here, if you weren't here first hour, I did not. And so... Um, That's a game changer. It is. It is. So if you do not have one of these booklets, you need one. So if you would, please put your hands in the air. If, if, put a hand in the air if you would, uh, if you need one. Uh, our team will get those out to you. You will be using these throughout the week. And so go ahead and write your name right on the cover. So if you happen to leave it someplace, we'll get it to the pastor so he can get it back to you. And, uh, but yeah, there's lots of, lots of things in here that we will be working through and, and using, so you will need one of those books. Service times this, this week. Um, starting tonight will be 6 p.m. Tonight uh, through Thursday, 6 p.m. every night, we will have worship time together. So the student, you'll, why don't you talk about the students and how they should start? Sure. So um, the youth, which is 6th through 12th grade, they'll be meeting with Austin. Austin's right here. He does an awesome job. You guys are going to have a lot of fun this week with him. So you guys will be meeting in the, ha- the church's house in the basement over there. And then for our Happy Heart and Base Camp kids, you'll be meeting, they'll be coming here. Uh, the sign-in table is out in your entryway. So for Happy Heart, that is ages first, four years old to first grade. And so they'll get a yellow ticket, and they're actually going to do this and stick it on their back. All right, so they can't take it off. And then our base campers, they are second through fifth grade. And so they're going to get this one. Oh, I get this one. So they'll be sticking that. So that way they know your kids' names. But then you will need these when you go back to pick them up. You'll want to take this with you to get them. Um, because our trailer, as we shared this morning, our trailer is full. We have no more room for any more kids. So please come get your kids please, please after the kids service. So, but they're going to have a great time learning about God's truths right along with us this week. So just to clarify, tonight, youth, you will start over in your designated area, okay? And, and clubs will do the same thing. That's right. And the last thing we want to share with you this morning is, there we go. Oh, nope. I'm sorry. There we go. The Life Action app. So this is an app that you can download at anywhere, any app store that you use. But it has some great resources on there for you. It's got daily devotionals, daily prayers. There's some awesome resources for kids um, on there. My kids love it. We listen to that a lot. So be sure you can, to get that. And that's, that'll just help you in your daily walk with God, your daily encouragement with him. So I think Ryan and Jen are going to come up and share a little bit about themselves with you. Awesome. Cool. Well, good morning, church. We're glad to be here. Um, how many of you enjoyed the coffee this morning? Okay, the coffee was the culprit for the power outage in the first service. Um, it was great. Um, I think as soon as they clicked the coffee pot on, like everything in here died. And we were like, ah! Um, Jesse and Sarah did an amazing job. Um, they will be starting out every service with us in the evenings at 6. So please make sure that you're here. I know that you're like, oh my gosh, all week long. Um, I promise, one, it won't seem that long, um, and two, I promise it won't be boring because you never know what's going to happen with the power and how we have to do our little song and dance differently. Um, but I want to introduce to you someone who's really important to me. This is, next to Jesus, the most important person in my life. This is my wife, Jen. And so, Jen, you want to talk about yourself, and I'll just sit sure. down. Nope, nope. Nope. You stay right here. You stay right here. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. We are so excited to be here. This is actually our first time in Iowa, so. It's beautiful. Thank you. Like, I'm thinking like Iowa, like what's special about Iowa? You guys have got some beautiful Beautiful. hills. Yeah, Like it is gorgeous hills, like the farmlands I'm driving. And next thing I know, Siri's like going, do a U-turn. Because I have like stopped looking at things. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you got to turn around. You missed your turn. Mm -hmm. Um, It's beautiful here, y'all. This is great. Thank you. Beautiful. Yesterday was mm, amazing. So thank you for your warm welcome. Thank you for allowing us to come. We're very excited to be here. My name is Jen, short for Jennifer. Some people like to say Jan, but you know, it's okay. I have a Southern accent. 
I am from North Florida. So those of you who don't know, there's different sections of Florida, and there's actually Southerners in Florida. So we are both. Florida is the furthest south you can go in the United States. I know, at this point. I know. So yeah, it works. We're both Floridians. Yeah. So um, Ryan grew up in Orlando. I grew up in a little town called Palatka. So I feel right at home here in Atlantic. So I'm Jennifer. He's Ryan. And we are going to be married. 24 years in August, mm-hmm. so yes, and I wanted to introduce you to my family. Um, on the left is Hannah, our youngest. She's back in the back um, learning how to run media, so. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Hannah. She turned 19 this week. She's introverted, so she loves when I draw attention to her, and if you guys don't mind, I mean, just start a conversation with her any old time. She would love to do the small talk thing with you, and <laughs> she'll kill me later. But um, she's funny, sarcastic, super smart, and she loves Jesus. Next year, she's going to be traveling as an official team member. She just graduated with her associates in arts degree, like just finished yesterday. So good job, Hannah. Yay! This picture was taken at Easter, so I'm next to Hannah and that little dude. Micah. I should introduce the mother first, but I just love the grandbabies. So my oldest daughter is holding um, Prince Micah. Uh, Micah is, I don't even know how old he is anymore. 16 months months old. He is the apple of our eye and um, he is keeping his mom on her toes. Our oldest daughter is Abigail. She's 21. Um, The young man next to her is her husband, Joshua. And the two little fellas they have are Micah and Ezekiel. And so we are proud. They're not even a year apart in age. Yep. Irish twins. Micah turned one on December the 6th. Ezekiel was born on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So... Abigail. And yes, we did explain to them how that works, parents. Yeah. So <laughs> That's what people say. Yeah. Do they know? Yes, they know. Abigail is not an introvert. She's an extrovert. So if she were here, she would tell you all the things you need to know. They live in Marietta, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta. So we try to get there as often as we can. So this week, we just want to get to know you a little better. That's why we keep telling you about ourselves. And um, we hope that you'll come to us and tell us about yourself. So um, we don't have a lot of time to Together, but we can get connected in a short amount of time because of the Christ that lives inside of us. So um, I want to invite all the ladies um, on Thursday. We have a special thing for just us, and I'll be sharing my testimony that day. So I want to invite you by special invitation to come, 1130 to 1. I always get the thing wrong. What is it? Come when you can. Come when you can. Leave when you must. Leave when you must. So you can come late. You can come early. You can stay long. You can leave short. I know some people have have lunch hours they need to attend to for work, but we are going to have a lunch and some music and some talking and some sharing, so please come, and Sarah and I would love to serve you that day. Awesome. Thanks, babe, for coming up. If you'll put that right back over there. I'm going to invite our band to come back up. I want to introduce our last song to you. Um, This is a song that you might not know, so we're going to ask you to just kind of stay seated where you are. We will put the words on the screen. If you feel like, man, you've caught the tune and you want to sing along, that's great, but um, it's an amazing song called Heal Our Land, um, and it truly is taken from the passage of scripture um, that was read earlier in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's a verse we use a lot of times when we talk about revival, um, and sometimes we can say revival is for somebody else. This is not really meant for me. This is meant for, you know, the person over there, the person who's struggling, um, you know, and, and we say, God, heal our land, and we think, oh, man, the, the United States needs to be healed. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I need to be healed. The revival must begin inside of me. If I want the world around me to change, if I want my home to change, if I want my workplace to change, it's got to start with me. And so we begin to, to look at the scripture and when we begin to personalize it more and says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, get honest about who we are and what we've, what we've got going on and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. This week, our prayer is that God will begin to heal some of the hurts in your life. All of us have hurts. All of us have been hurt by people, hurt people, hurt people. Some of the meanest people I know go to church. Some of the nicest people I know go to church. But the church is meant to be a hospital for the hurting. And so this week, my prayer is, our prayer is, that God will come in and speak into those parts of your hearts and the parts of your life and bring some healing 
into your life as we walk this journey together. Because I want you to know, we, we don't come here saying, hey, we have all the answers. We didn't unpack the Holy Spirit from the truck. We didn't bring revival in with us. We're here to walk alongside with you guys. These are principles that God is teaching us as well. And so would you pray with me as we get ready to sing the song? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a faithful God. A faithful God to, to listen. God, a faithful God to speak into our hearts and into our lives. That God, you don't just leave us the way we are in our own mess, but that God, you step in. I thank you for your word that is true in Philippians that says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God, would you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives this week? Lord, would you begin to heal the, the land of our heart, the land of our families, the land of our work? Lord, would you begin to heal the land of our nation and the land of our world? God, would you bring our, our attention and our affection back to you? Lord, we love you. We thank you. This is all because of you and for you. For it's in your name we pray.
it's not about us. It's not about a program. It's not about um, a special time or a song. It's all about you. And God, your word says that if you be lifted up, you will draw all men to you. So this morning, God, we come to make much of you, to lift you up, to exalt you, to glorify you. Because God, you are holy. Lord, we pray that God, you would open our eyes to see you? Would you open our ears to hear from you? Would you open our minds, God, to begin to understand you in a deeper way? But God, most importantly, would you open our hearts that, God, we might experience you this morning and walk out different than when we came in? That, God, we would have truly had an encounter with you this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory's sake. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, to go ahead and hit the video for us. I love that passage in Psalms 85, would you revive us? And then it puts in this word again. How many of you have ever been to revival before? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is not like anything you've been a part of. Okay, I've been in revivals where, uh, you know, we bring in a special speaker. And um, at one point he's up there hollering and screaming. He looks like he might potentially pass out from a coronary. He's wiping his brow. He's red in the face. The whole time the pastor's going, do I need to get up there and be ready to go with Sermon B? Like, you know, I mean, do we call the paramedics? This is not going to be like that at all. Um, Most revivals, when we think about them, um, it's an evangelistic thing. The revivals are for the people that are lost. You know, let's bring our lost friends to the church. Um, And I'm just going to go and tell you, he said this, that revival is for those who have been alive. It's for people who, who have been alive, not people who are dead. Paramedics don't revive someone who's been dead. They revive someone who's alive and just needs help. And so we're going to come alongside you this week looking at what is it look like to live the revived life. And so uh, we didn't, like I said before, we, we didn't bring revival with us in the big truck that's parked out there. Um, it didn't come in our RVs because we've got two RVs and we're living on your property and it's wonderful and great. We, we don't come in with the corner market on this. This is all coming from God's word. The truths that you're going to hear this week are nothing new. There are things that, that we've heard all of our lives, but sometimes we need a refresher. Sometimes we need a revival. And so when I begin to think about this, uh, it's always got to start with the holiness of God. The holiness of God will inspire us to a new way of living. Um, And so one of the things that that we love in Life Action, we say that we're here to inspire your next yes. And part of that inspiration is, you know, living this life together. Some of you are like, yeah, my next yes is not to live in an RV. Um, Trust me, that was not mine either. Um, I remember when I talked to John Avent, who was one of my mentors in the faith, and he said, have you ever thought about living in an RV? No. Would you ever consider living in an RV? No. Those were my two answers. Then later I realized I was telling God no. 
because what God was doing was preparing us for this. And so uh, this, this idea of, of holiness and, and inspiring us to a new way of living, we have to then begin to assume, and I make an assumption that we are alive and we understand what life means. I looked up in the, the dictionary, uh, actually, I Googled it. Did you guys know that Google is a verb now? Like you just get online and you Google it. Um, and so I, I Googled life. This is the definition of life. The ability to grow, change, or etc. that separates plants and animals from things like water or rocks. The period of time when a person is alive or the experience of being alive. And so that begins to make me think, okay, so if life is about being alive, I remember being in English class going, you can't define something with its own self. What then does it mean to be alive? So again, I pulled up the Google and I said, alive. Here's what it says. You ready? Having life, not dead or inanimate, still in existence, force or operation, still active in competition with a chance of victory, knowing or realizing the existence of something, marked by alertness, by energy or briskness, marked by much life, animation, and activity. So the question then becomes this, are we alive? Are we as the church alive or are we merely existing in this world? A lot of us, I say, would go, well, yeah, I'm alive, I'm breathing. But are you really alive? Would you consider your life to be a force? And I don't mean Star Wars. Even though we just had May the 4th be with you and the revenge of the 6th or 5th, whichever one. I'm not talking about that, but would your life be considered a force to be reckoned with? I think a lot of times we get scared in culture. Uh, I know that for me personally, this time that, we've, that we're in, I mean, COVID was crazy. Do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you vaccinate? Do you not vaccinate? Do you speak out? Do you not speak out? Is it this? Is it that? And we're so divided among so many things. And the church has the opportunity to speak into this life and hope and love and grace. But when we put ourselves out there and we say these things, then people start commenting on us. And then we have the whole fun thing of cancel culture. And people will cancel us because we don't see or think the way they see or think. But would you consider your life to be a force? Are you still active in competition with a chance of victory? Sometimes we come into church and we go, well, well guess what? I, I'm older now and so I don't have to do anything. And so we just take a seat on the back row. Sometimes we sit and we soak. Do you know what happens when that happens? You begin to sour. But listen, we're still in competition. I don't know if you know this or not but I'm going to let you know on a secret. We win. Amen. Believers in Christ, we, we win because God has already won through Jesus. We don't win because of something that I do or something that I don't do. I win because of what's already been done. God's already paid the price. We're already victorious. But a lot of times we don't live that way. Would you say your life is marked by alertness or energy or briskness? Are we alive or are we merely existing? John 10, 10 says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them life, rich and satisfying, abundant life. Is your life marked by being alive? See, here's the deal. What we believe will determine how we behave. What we believe will determine how we behave. So, so the question then comes into this. When was the last time that you shared your faith? When was the last time you shared with somebody the gospel, the hope that you have? Can I be honest with you real quick? Just because I'm up here doesn't mean that I am the poster child for this stuff. There are times where God says, hey, I want you to talk to them. And I go, no. God, they'll think I'm weird. They'll think I'm strange. They won't listen. They won't whatever. And I come up with all of these excuses. 
If your nemesis walked in the door at this point, how would you respond to them coming to church? Would you think, well, you know what, when I, when I see them in the parking lot, I'm just going to nudge them with the car gently. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad idea. You say, well, maybe it won't be me, but maybe somebody else will, and we begin to pray for that, right? Or what happens when, when well, what's your first reaction when someone cuts you off in traffic? Or you get to the Walmart self-checkout lane where it says 10 items or fewer, and the person's pulling two buggies that are overflowing, and you're looking at them going, can you count to 10? What's your reaction when life gets tough? Does the fruit of the Spirit come out? Does love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, is your life marked by those things? Our response to these questions and so many more will tell us where we are in our life. Because what we believe will determine how we behave, how we view God. What we believe about who he is will determine how we behave, how we live our lives, both with God, with ourselves, and with others. We need, church, a revival. The definition of revival is simply this, a renewed attention to or attention in something, a renewed attention. We need to have our attention refocused and renewed. We need to have our lives realigned back to God. The the second definition would be this, revive means to make strong, healthy, or active again. I love that word, again. It simply means that David said this in his Psalms. He said, Lord, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? How many of you remember the day you got saved? I was an eight-year-old little boy, March 3rd, 1983, at 8.30 p.m. The only reason I remember it is it's a lot of threes, okay? But I remember growing up in the church as a little boy and the pastor saying, you got to have Jesus in your heart. And I remember every night for a week praying, Jesus, come into my heart and going, I, I don't know what this means. I don't feel any different. I, I, I don't understand this. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, what does it mean to have Jesus in your heart? And I remember he was sitting at our, at our kitchen table and he had all of his work spread out. And the thing I loved is my dad just like closed all that stuff up because he knew this was the most important conversation he'd ever have with me. And we went into his bedroom and he pulled out his Bible and he began explaining to me the gospel story. And I'll never forget praying this prayer. Not that there's anything special in the prayer or anything special in the words. It's the confession of the heart. It's the belief in the heart and the confession with my mouth, as Paul said. And I remember saying, God, I need you. I'm a sinner as an eight-year-old little boy. I I hadn't committed murder. I I wasn't selling drugs. I hadn't done anything really bad, but I was still a sinner. I had done things wrong. And God, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. I put my faith and trust in you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I remember when I said amen, something was different. I had a joy in my heart. I remember running from my parents' bedroom into my bedroom and opening my top drawer and grabbing out my little children's Bible that had the shepherd with the little sheep on it, you know, and he was cradling it and the green edges. And I remember holding it in my arms and hugging it to my chest and saying, God, I love you. 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 And then the next thing I did was I called everybody who was awake and even those who weren't awake and said, I got to tell you something. I asked Jesus into my heart tonight. Now here I am at 47. And I wonder sometimes, God, is that little boy still alive? Is that passion still here? When I was 22, I had some older gentlemen in the church come up to me and go, man, I love your passion, but one day, one day you'll lose your passion. Really? I pray I never lose my passion for Jesus. I pray when I'm 80 years old, I'm still doing what I do. We have a a guy on the blue team who does exactly what I'm doing, Steve Canfield. Been on the road 47 years. Turned 70 this year. Man, Lord, when I'm 70, I still hope I'm living in an RV on church parking lots. Is that okay with you, babe? Okay, good. Listen, it's, it's, it's about this renewed faith. God, would you do this thing again? We need a fresh encounter with God. 
We're going to look at a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 6 that, that is used a lot of times when talking about revivals. So as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 6, let me bring you up to speed with the first five chapters of Isaiah, okay? To this point in Isaiah 6, Israel's become a rebellious nation. They were going through the religious rituals, but there was no meaning. There was no life. They were not marked by alertness or by energy. They were no longer competitive with a chance of victory. They weren't alive by definition. This is what Isaiah said about them. They were a sinful nation loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They had forsaken God and spurned the instruction of the Lord. Does there sound much difference between the church of today and the nation of Israel of this time? No, not much. We need a revival. We go through the motions as a church. We check off the boxes of religion, neglecting the relationship with God, neglecting the daily time of just spending with, with our Savior and our friend and our dad. We miss the point Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. When was the last time that you saw the Lord? Isaiah is coming into the temple. Why? Because he wants to see God. He understands that his nation is in the middle of a crisis of, of, of belief, of faith, of, of man. This is a turning point. And where does Isaiah run? He runs to the temple. God, I want to see you. King Uzziah had died. Israel was without its most prosperous king. It was the end of a prosperous and victorious time. The days were filled with anxiety, with stress, with worry, with fear. Impending war from the north, economic downturn, peace was eroding. The new king was young and inexperienced. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? How many of you in the middle of all of this stuff have found yourself worried about things? Okay, good. I'm the only one with a couple others. That's awesome. Thank you guys for playing along this morning. How many of you have ever found yourself anxious in the last several years? Angry? Yeah, hello. If we're honest, there's not much different from us and Isaiah, except where we turn. Isaiah turned to God. He went seeking God. He needed answers. He needed reassurance. He needed a fresh vision. But what he got was so much more. See, when we come to church, a lot of times we don't come with an expectancy of wanting to see God do something amazing. We come, why? Obligation. Well, it's just what I do. It's Sunday morning. It's what we do as Christians. It's what we do as the church. We come together because Hebrew says, don't forsake the assembling of each other. But it needs to be so much more. See, because when you see the Lord, man, you become like that little kid uh, in the Incredibles movie who saw Mr. Incredible like crush the side of the car and pick it up when the door was, was slamming and stuff. And the next day he pulls in and the kid's on his little tricycle and Mr. Incredible looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, what are you waiting for? Well, I don't know, something amazing. Listen, when was the last time we came to church going, God, would you do something amazing? God, would you do it again? Oh, Lord, would you do something fresh and new in our lives Again, when was the last time you saw God? Isaiah 6.1 goes on to say this. How did he see God? He begins to describe it. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple with glory. What Isaiah saw was the presence of God seated on a throne. Uh, the throne meaning this, this place of ruling, this place of ultimate authority, this place that was seated high and lifted up. He saw the power of God. But then he also saw the peace of God in the train of his robe. Now, I read this and I go, oh yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. I, wanna, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this or knew this, okay? Back in the day when they had kings like this and, and the king would conquer another king. 
he would take that king's robe and he would cut the train off of his robe and sew it onto his robe, thus making his robe longer. And at each time he beat another king, he would do the same thing. Think about this for a moment. Some of you are getting this. The train of God's robe filled the temple. Two football fields, over 40 feet high. The train of God's robe filled the temple. Why do we live in defeat when our king is a conquering king? Why do we live with fear when our king has overcome so much? Revival is simply this. It is the presence of God, the power of God, and the peace of God on a life, a family, a church, or a nation. Man, just to be able to see God in this place, high and lifted up. Revival is the presence of God knowing that God is with us on the throne of our lives, the power of God, high and lifted up, and the peace of God, the train of his robe, resting on me and on you and on this church and on God's church across the nation and God's church around the world. But we have a problem, two of them actually. The first one is this, We've made God one of us. We've, we've tried to understand who God is and what his attributes are, but we've brought God down to our level just to be able to understand him. Joan Osborne in 1996 wrote a song called One of Us. What if God was one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Would you still worship him? Would you still want to know him? She goes on to write. But see, we've, we've tried to, to bring God down to our level and he can't be on our level because he is high and lifted up. He is a holy God. The second problem is this, we've become too familiar with God. We've lost this sense of awe and wonder. I love ice cream. Strawberry ice cream is my favorite. We went the other night to Westside Diner. My first time ever having a hot beef. Did not know that existed. Let's just say I got to go back. I ordered a half portion because the way the lady described it, I was thinking, oh my, that's a lot. Mm, we're going with a full portion next time. The hills of Iowa are great, but the hot beef. Hot beef is amazing. And we can say, man, that's awesome. I love hot beef. But I could also turn around and say, man, I love my wife. Guys, we can get in trouble this way, can't we? Because we, we use this word love or we use this word awesome or we use things like, man, I, 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 that, that play was great. Or man, that, that college team, man, that was, they're awesome. I love Florida Gator football. I know that around here you guys are like, huh, what? Yeah, it'd be like Iowa, okay? Like, you know, the Hawkeyes or whatever you guys, I don't, I didn't know you guys had college football here. We were in Iowa City and I saw... Sorry, you know, SEC fans, we're the only ones who have football, right? I mean, the SEC is the only one who has college sports. You know, I'm just kidding. Please don't murder me later. Um, I got to make sure my will is up to date. But, you know, we can, we, we laugh because it's so true. Man, I love college sports. I love my wife. I love Jesus. And then it all just becomes the same in this muddled up thing. We get too familiar with God. So how do we fix this? Because here's the deal. When we've seen God truly for who he is, we will come expecting to see him again and again and again. Do you think Isaiah entered the temple different from that day forward? Man, I guarantee you he came in every day going, God, are, are you going to do it again? 
like came in with fresh eyes, with a fresh expectancy. So what do we do to have a revived life? First thing is this, we need to put God in his place. Now some of us go, ah, I don't know about that, Ryan. No, in our own lives and in our own view, remember what we believe will determine how we behave. If I believe that God is exalted and high and glorious and awesome and wonderful, then man, guess what? He has a rightful place in my life. Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw him seated on a throne, high and exalted. So let me just bring this together for you, okay? Some of you are gonna laugh. I stole this from your your children's ministry. I promised to put it back. I borrowed it. Is that better? We'll be Christian about it. <laughs> we all have a throne in our lives. I'm going to set it here. We all have a throne. This thing that is important to us. The question is this. Who is sitting on the throne? Who is on the throne of our lives? Because a lot of times, this is how it works. Just a little nervous that it might not hold me. It's a tiny chair. (laughs) Sometimes, isn't that the way it is in our lives? But who's on the throne? We, We sit here and we're in control. We're in charge. It's all about me, what I want, what I think, what I desire. Sounds a little bit like Toby Keith, right? Those of you who like country music. I want to talk about me, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my, what I think, what I want, what I hope, what I like, what I need. I like talking about you, but mm. who's on the throne of our lives? And see, I remember as an eight-year-old little boy, I lived life for me, and then something changed. See, I grew up in church all my life, and as an eight-year-old little kid, I asked Jesus to sit on the throne of my life. God, would you be on the throne? Lord, would would you take control? I know that you paid for my sins on the cross. And so God, I want you to take control. See, here's the thing. We need God's authority in our lives. We need God to, to come in and be Lord. Guess what? If God isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. You can't be Lord of some. But a lot of times in life, this is how we as Christians live. Jesus is my co-pilot. I'm still the one calling the shots, but but I've got Jesus. See, I I grew up Baptist, and so we have this wonderful thing that, that I would call salvation is my fire insurance. And I can live life however I want to, because guess what? God has to forgive me. Scripture says that that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And so I can live however I want to, but then come back to God and say, God, forgive me. Who's on the throne of my life in this moment? Me. We need God's authority, but we also need God's perspective in life. High and lifted up means, guess what? He can see everything. He sees the valleys. He sees the hilltops. He can look into the future because guess what? God exists outside of time and space. God needs to be on the throne of our lives. He needs to be the one who calls the shots. He needs to be the one directing us. Isaiah 6, 2 goes on to say this, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. I don't know about you, but if I walked in the church and saw a six-winged thing flying around, I'd be great going, wow, there's God. But holy mackerel, what is that? Have you ever wondered why the angels, the first thing they always say when they appear in the Bible is what? Don't be afraid. Why? Well, hello. (laughs) If I saw something with six wings, I'd be like, I don't know about that. But look at what they're doing in verse 3. And one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not just the temple being filled with the glory of God, but the whole earth is filled with his glory. The angels in heaven are saying holy. Why? Because that's who God is. The definition of holy is this, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. 
There is no one like God. And yet so many times we put people, we put possessions, we put positions on the throne of our lives and we take God and set him to the side. We begin to worship other things. When God is the only one who is holy. Look at the end of the, the, the book, Revelation chapter four. I wanna read verses eight through 11. Check out this picture, you ready? Revelation four, eight through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Hello, I wonder where that comes from. Are full of eyes all around and within. That's not scary. And day and night, they never cease to say. What is it that they never cease to say? They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And look at this, verse nine. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. They have put God in his rightful place on the throne of eternity. If that's the picture of eternity, if that's the picture of heaven, why don't we live today with that as our reality? Who is on the throne of your life? The second step we need to do is we need to do this. Respond in honesty and humility. And we'll unpack this a little bit more tonight and tomorrow night. And we're, we're going to come back to this story every single night we're together. But once we've, we've put God in his place, then, then that begins to put us in our place. Isaiah says this in verse 6, 4, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says in verse 5, woe is me. For I am lost, or one translation says, I am ruined. He got humble in the fact of realizing where his position was next to God. I am not God, but I know I am being God. And he could have stopped there with just saying, woe is me, I'm wrecked, I'm ruined, I'm messed up. But he says this, I, I, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's humble and he's honest about his own mistakes. Once we've understood who God is and we begin to see ourselves for who we are, it then moves us into this place of repentance. And we then have a choice. We can accept God's forgiveness or not. We, we then need to accept the forgiveness of God. Isaiah in verse six and seven goes on and says this, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. Hello. If you didn't think your life was undone by walking into the temple and seeing God high and lifted up, exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple, the temple is shaking, it's filled with smoke. I don't know about you, but if I walked into church and that was the experience, I'd probably be like, God, I'm really sorry. I'd fall on my face, think, man, yes, this is the end. It's happening now. And then when one of these six wings creatures flies to the altar and takes a coal out and starts approaching me with it, yes, I'm done for sure. Life is over. I, I've confessed that woe is me. God is just. He is righteous. He does not like sin. I am undone. He's through with me like I'm about to be burned up. Look at what it says in verse 7. And he touched my mouth. Why did he touch Isaiah's mouth? For Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. A lot of times we'll find out who's on the throne of our lives if we'll evaluate the words of our mouths. Because scripture says this, Jesus said this in Matthew, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Whatever's on the throne will come out of our mouths. But look at what it says. He, he says this, behold, this has touched your lips. I love this. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. When we accept the forgiveness of God, God takes away our guilt and our shame and he pays the penalty for our sin. He pays the price for the wrong that we've done in our lives. We don't have to continue to live in shame and in guilt. We can live in freedom and in grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that on Tuesday night, probably my favorite message of the entire week. Because we as Christians misunderstand God's grace. We make it stop at salvation. And we forget that it goes on past that. But man, here's the beautiful part. Once we've accepted God's forgiveness, we can then hear God's voice. Isaiah 6, 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God wasn't silent. I believe that God was probably speaking the entire time Isaiah was walking into the temple. I believe God was probably still saying the same message before Isaiah ever got to the temple. Who will go for us? Who will be our witness? Who will be our voice? Who will be our ambassador? Who will go for us and represent me to the world? But it wasn't until Isaiah got God in his rightful place. And Isaiah responded in humility and grace and accepted the forgiveness of God, that he heard the voice of God. God is speaking this morning to us. Who is on the throne of your life? The last step in Isaiah's process is this. Say yes to God. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now, I, I read this sometimes in Scripture, and I think it gets lost in translation in the pages and in the black and the white. I don't believe Isaiah just went, here I am, send me. I have this picture of Isaiah in my mind of, of here's this guy who walks into the temple. He sees God high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple. It's shaking. It's filled with smoke. The angel has already come and, and cleansed his life and, and forgiven him and taken away his sin. And he's now in freedom and in grace. And I guarantee you, he's like, oh, I hear God. God, pick me. Here I am. God, would you say, I'll go. I'll be the one. Man, how many of us as believers get that excited about Jesus? But when my Atlanta Braves won the World Series, I got a little excited. But when I went to church the next day, did I have that same passion? Did I have that same excitement for my Lord and my Savior? Here's our question this morning. Here's your life in action. We'll end every service, every talk with this idea of, of moving our life into action, that it's not just about sitting and soaking. Jesus, it's not about just hearing the word. It's about doing something with the word. It's a moment of decision. Who is on the throne of your life?